You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. We are in a battle. And so, like, I feel it every week that I feel like we are, we see a, a victory, we see a breakthrough, and at the same time, I hear other reports of what seem like setbacks. And I refuse to allow the setbacks to rule the day. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, violence and violent men take it by force. Like it is a battle. And I don't, say that, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that in a trite way to minimize your battles. I say that from the heart of a pastor saying, that's my posture, is the violent ones will take it by force. And I'm not saying violent physically in this world. He's, what Jesus is talking about is like this spiritual, fervent, uh, relentless faith in the kingdom realities. When he says the kingdom of God is near, that becomes the, the paradigm by which we view things rather than trepidation and fear and intimidation of the enemy. So that's um, all something else for a whole other day, but I felt like that was relevant for this morning. So First uh, Samuel chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. First Samuel chapter 3 I want us to be ones who hear the word of the Lord, who actually have ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear the word of the Lord. And I draw the line between that, actually hearing the word of the Lord with our spiritual ears and just being exposed to a lot of noise, a lot of Christian noise or um, biblical noise. I want us to be ones that hear the word of the Lord. Have you ever not woken up for your alarm? And like you got, you got a busy day, you have something going on. I, haven't, yeah, I know there's some in the house that uh, haven't woken up for their alarm before. So um, that's really stressful. <laughs> and as the church, God has not called us to oversleep his alarm. In fact, he's called us to be ones that are attuned and alert and ready and and when, we, when he calls, we hear. And it's easy for us to fall into a deception, especially in our generation, with a proliferation of information and a proliferation of uh, biblical information to assume that noise is equated to actually hearing the word of the Lord. And so there's this phrase here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that I want to press into in the very first verse, where it says, in these days, these days of Samuel, that Samuel lived, it says, the word of the Lord was rare, and there was no frequent visions. The word of the Lord was rare, and there was no frequent visions. And some versions say there was no prophetic visions. So he lived in a, a really a tragic age, an age where, for many it was unheard of to actually have an encounter with the Lord for themselves, where actually the Lord speaks relevantly to their life, not just in ages gone by, but into their life. That's a tragic description of any generation, but I would say that in our generation, people can get fooled into assuming they've heard the word of the Lord, when in fact they've just heard a lot of Christian noise and a lot of, a lot of information. And I want to press you, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to press in to actually hear the word of the Lord for yourself in a personal way. So one aspect of this for our generation is the proliferation of information. 
that can numb you into thinking and assuming that you've heard the word of the Lord when in actuality hasn't come to bear on your personal life. The other aspect of this has been the proliferation of prophetic words that have gone forth, especially with the recent um, political cycle and then with COVID as well. There was, especially because of the age of social media and, and online technology, just this almost disgusting volume of prophetic words that went out across the airwaves with zero discernment, with zero filter for whether these were valid words or not. And it's been a, um, it has been an, uh, an offense to, the, to the, the true church of Jesus. I'm not saying all those voices were false prophets, but they, it's obvious that they prophesied falsely. And we can call it, we can, we can say that, and I believe that we should as the church. When there are words that go out and they're testable, and they, they fall flat, we should call them false prophecies. I'm not saying they're false prophets. I'm not saying that all of them are heretics. I'm saying there was a lot of uh, f- false prophecies that happened, people who were prophesying erroneous words. And that is a problem. What can happen then is people can assume, because there's lots of prophetic words happening, lots of prophetic voices talking, and lots of noise happening, that it's common for prophetic words to happen. But it almost reminds me of the days of, of Jeremiah where there was a lot of prophetic voices. But there were very few who the word of God was like a fire shut up in their bones that were actually willing to call the people to change in a way that the words pierced their hearts and it changed the trajectory of a generation. And so when I use that word um, or that phrase prophetic words, I am specifically in this context of 1 Samuel chapter 3 talking about like the office of prophet as opposed to what we encourage a lot around here, which is the, the prophecy in the body of Christ, us spiritually edifying one another for the building up of the church. That, that's what Jesus calls every follower of Jesus to walk in is, is a spirit of prophecy, to edify, to look, to build each other up. But what we're talking about in our age, which has gone oftentimes abused, is that office of prophet, where someone assumes that mantle of, prof, of prophet, that office of prophet, and they speak uh, erroneous words that lead many astray or lead many just to be confused, scratching their heads and discouraged. Um, I do believe in the office of prophet, um, but I don't believe it's, it's a title people should be clinging to. Uh, and that's probably another message for another day. I, I say all that to set the stage, that there are some things going on right now in our generation that can fool people or deceive people into thinking they've heard the word of the Lord when in fact they haven't. So let's read this, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Because I want us to be ones that hear the word of the Lord for ourselves personally. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So Samuel actually grew up in, in, the, in the tabernacle in the tent of meeting. It was there positioned in Shiloh with the priest Eli and his sons. And Samuel, because he was a miracle baby, his, his mom offered him back to the house of God to live there, to grow up there. And so he had the privilege of, of growing up in the house of God. And even though his generation was in dire straits, in a desperate place, there was this spirit about Samuel that was positioned to actually hear from the Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you are one who you'd say in your life as of late, you'd feel like the, that um, the word of the Lord has been rare in your life. I want to, I want, I want to point you to Samuel as, a, as an example of one 
who heard from the word of the Lord in a generation when it was rare. And the first thing we see from Samuel's life was that he, he was one who ministered to the Lord. That's what it says. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. He actually sought out to serve the Lord, to minister to him, to worship him. And it's actually when we minister the Lord that we're in a place to receive from, receive from the Lord, to be ministered to. It's the, the principle, the kingdom principle of reaping what you sow. You sow in ministry, you sow in serving him, you sow in worship. And what actually happens in the kingdom of God is that he pours out ministry to you. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking with the, the Samaritan woman. And you know, he asks her for a, cup of, you know, a drink of water first. And he, says, and he, he t- talks to her and tells her, you know, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd actually ask me for a drink of water and I would give you living water and you'd never thirst again. That's what it's like. It's like we, we offer him a drink of water and then he pours out his living water upon us. It's not like he's in need of it or there's anything that we can offer him that, that, that amounts to, to all that much, but we, we position ourselves in a posture to serve, to minister to him, to worship him. And what he does is he pours out ministry upon us. So firstly, if the word of the Lord is rare in your life, first, minister to the Lord. Samuel got that. Let's keep reading. In verse 2, it says, At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So this is, this is not Solomon's temple. This is the, the tabernacle or the, or the tent of meeting, you know, as established by Moses. But it says that the lamp of God had not yet gone, gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. Samuel had taken up residence in one single place, which, is, which was the presence of the Lord. And so if the word of the Lord is rare in your life, position yourself like this ravenous, hungry person in the presence of the Lord. Like you just want proximity. If you haven't heard from him in a while, if, you're, if you feel weary, if you feel distant from the Lord, do what you can do by getting into the presence of the Lord. In Samuel, from a young age, this is not a, a single instance of him being in the presence of the Lord, him positioning. I'm like, I'm going I'm to go sleep as close to the ark as I can. This is not a single instance. This is actually a pattern for Samuel's life. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So this is even years prior to this encounter that he's going to have with the Lord. He had already made, made up this, uh, this pattern. And I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord later, uh, 10 verses later, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21. And it says, And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. That was the descriptor of his life, is he was going to be one who, was, who found himself in the presence of the Lord. It says, as long as the lamp of God has not yet gone out. That's what it said, that the lamp of God there in the tabernacle had not gone out. That, that lamp was a requirement that the Lord put upon the tabernacle in Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus 24, or 20, I think it's 24, um, to say that this lamp can never go out. And so there was this sense of 
tragedy, you know, a tragic sense amongst their generation that people were not hearing the word of the Lord and there was not frequent visions. But there was this sense that they were still clinging to, to God's character and staying faithful to the Lord in that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And so as long as the lamp of God has not gone out, there is still hope. And so I will tell you, if your soul is weary, if your heart is longing for a word of the Lord, that the lamp of God has not gone out yet in his true church. There is still a radiant, beautiful church. And it doesn't matter what you see online or what false things you've been exposed to online that have tainted your view of what God is like or what his church is like. The true church of Jesus is still burning. And there are these burning ones. The, the lamp of God has not gone out. Actually, in the book of Revelation, Jesus points to this, this lamp being a symbol of the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, as he's talking to the uh, church in Ephesus. He says, if you don't repent, he'll come and remove the lampstand from its place. Says, as long as the lamp of God is still burning, there is still hope for us to hear from the Lord. Amen? And for parents out there, this is, this is a great like parenting uh, paradigm to embrace is a strategy of getting your kids into the presence of God at any moment or at as, as, as frequently as possible. Get them into atmospheres where the Lord is exalted. And they, they won't depart from that over time. Or if they do, if they wander away, they'll come back to what they know is, uh, familiar, is familiar to them, to their souls. This has become one of my strategies with my kids. I just want them in places where they, they become familiar not in a way that they treat it as common or, um, or they, they minimize it or treat it lightly, but in a way that it draws them back to what they're created for. Amen? Young people are marked by the presence of the Lord. So don't, don't especially parents, don't um, always judge your kids in the moment by what their response is to the presence of the Lord. There are things being deposited to their heart and there's things being shifted in their minds and their hearts that, that, aren't, that won't come to bear until later in their lives. But I know for me and my wife, there has been a, a sense, a deep sense, and I believe it's because of the presence of God, uh, us being immersed in the presence of God at a young age, where we, as we've traveled around the country, you know, we, after college, we moved out to the West Coast, and from the West Coast, we moved to Iowa. But one common denominator that's marked those different locations has been this place where we've come into community and, and the, the presence of God marked those communities in such a way that we felt we were home. And so even though they were different churches, different communities, not necessarily connected relationally in any way, what marked those houses was the presence of God. And we'd, we'd come into community and be like, we're home. This is, this is what we know uh, we're familiar with and... Uh, and so get your kids in the presence of God. But if you are one who, the word of the Lord is rare in your life, first minister to the Lord, secondly, get into his presence. I mean, honestly, next Sunday night, perfect opportunity to get into the presence of the Lord and wait on him. Verse, let's keep going, verse four. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. That's Samuel responding, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you, you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and he lay down. So if the word of the Lord is rare in your life, first minister to him, secondly, get into his presence. Third, make sure your heart is positioned in the, heart, in the, in the position of a, of a servant or a student. 
Samuel, and it's evident here in his response to what he thought was Eli, that he had the heart of a student, he had the heart of a servant. Samuel's response was the response of one who understood the blessing of honor. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that when some future day comes and the Lord blesses us with some massive revelation of who he is like or we're in some position of of great authority, then we will walk in honor. But it doesn't work that way. If we can't learn to honor in our present context right now, we won't do it in some future day. And so here we find Eli who, I mean, sorry, we have Samuel who served Eli who had very obvious failings. I mean, Eli was kind of a, like a bumbling fool of sorts. And he, he walked with such passivity with his sons. His sons were drunkards and, and they, um, they stole from the house of God. I mean, it was, it was a bad situation that Samuel was, grew up in the midst of. But yet he chose the posture of honor. He still said, in the night, you know, Sam, uh, Eli can hardly see, and he feel, Samuel thought he heard Eli's voice, so he goes and he says, here I am, Eli. I'm at your service. What, what do you have for me? What, what do you want me to do? I know it's the middle of the night, but, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Our ability to honor anyone is a reflection of our heart and will be a reflection of our capacity to receive from the Lord. So there is this inseparable connection between honor and humility, They're tied together. So any one of us can honor another person because of the image of God in them. We can honor the anointing that other other people carry. Even if their flaws are obvious, which, I mean, we live life with people and flaws become obvious. We all see people's cracks and crevices and, uh, and issues and flaws, right? But even, you know, despite those flaws... We can honor what other people carry. There's something beautiful that they carry that the Lord is calling us to honor. We can honor someone's position in our life. So even people that are outside the fold, some people that are uh, outside of of the house of God, outside of the, the house of faith, we can still honor the position the Lord's put them in our lives. So the Lord sees those things. The way Jesus said it, if we receive a prophet, we receive a prophet's reward. Essentially, if we receive one of Jesus' friends. It's like we're receiving Jesus himself. And if we receive Jesus, we receive the Father. That's, what, that's the way Jesus says it. So our willingness to serve and honor is a reflection of our position to receive from the Lord. We can blame all sorts of things for the reason the word of the Lord is maybe rare in our lives. But I want to encourage you to first position yourself in a place to serve, to be a student. And that comes first demonstrated, manifested through the relationships around us. So minister to the Lord. Put yourself in his, in his presence continually, relentlessly, like, like just this hungry one. And, and thirdly, choose to honor and serve. Position yourself with the heart of honor as a student or a servant. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 6. The Lord is so good to, to be patient with our learning. And so even though Samuel didn't get, it first, or didn't get it right the first time, he calls him again. He says, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Verse seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
whoa. That's, that's quite the phrase. If, you, if you've been tracking with this, um, this sequence of events at all, here was a man, a boy, who grew up in the house of the Lord. He, like, slept next to the Ark of the Covenant. He, he took care of the house of the Lord, opened the doors in the morning. He kept the lamp of God lit. And yet, what's described of him is he did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The point I want to make is don't settle for anything less than a personal encounter. Don't allow your environment or your upbringing or your spiritual heritage from your parents distract from that one necessity of you encountering the Lord for yourself. This doesn't negate anything prior or your history, but it, at the same time, it doesn't allow you to lower your standard for what's available in the Lord. And so, kind of back to what I was referring to at the very beginning of my message, I, I believe there's something very serious that's happened in the church in the West, specifically the United States, where people assume they know the Lord because they're around the things of God, but they've actually never heard from him themselves. They've never had that moment where, like Samuel, they, they hear the Lord calling their name. Samuel, Samuel. It's never been per- personal. It seems like the right thing to do, I should be, I should be a Christian, I, I should be a follower of Jesus, or, or my, my parents think I should be, or, or this is what I've always been, or I probably should attend church, I probably should do these things, I should be a good person. And so there can be this temptation to believe that if we accumulate Christian things, that is the same as knowing the Lord. But Samuel himself here is humble, humble enough to recognize that he had not yet come to know the Lord. He still needed that personal encounter. And what I feel like is a similar description of it is in Matthew chapter 16 when, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're, you know, he's asking them, you know, who are people saying I am? I hear all this hubbub about people being maybe mistaken that I'm, uh, I'm John the Baptist or, or Elijah. And he turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who spe- speaks up and speaks rightly and says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You are God. And he speaks rightly. And Jesus' response to Peter in that moment is, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Like no, no man revealed this to you. This was not just a transfer of information. You didn't get this from a YouTube video. You didn't get this from a class. But he says, instead, my Father in heaven revealed this to you. There has to be a moment in every person's life where the Father in heaven reveals himself to you personally, where it becomes a personal revelation of who Jesus is. Because what happens when, when that takes place in our lives is No circumstance or person can steal that away from you. That becomes a living revelation that means something for your eternal destiny. So don't settle for anything less than a personal encounter. That's actually a warning. That's actually a strong encouragement. But I would say even more so, it's a warning. Don't settle for anything less than a personal encounter. Don't allow yourself to assume that knowing about the Lord is the same as knowing the Lord 
or being around the things of the Lord is the same as knowing the Lord. Don't settle for anything less. Amen? Let's keep reading then. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Like Yahweh himself was, was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I mean, you have to appreciate, even though Eli was foolish in some ways, like he still had the heart of a teacher in other ways. And in verse 10, it says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. When the Lord comes, you will know he has come. This is authentic and it's personal. It's not synthetic, it's not hype. It's not everything having to be just right, the music and the the lights. It's Jesus coming into your life in a way that's personal and he comes and there's no doubt about it. And so the Lord came this time and he called his name, Samuel, Samuel. And finally, the ears of his heart were receptive to Yahweh, to the Lord himself. He said, okay, here I am. Speak. So don't lower your standard for anything less than a personal encounter. And then when you're in that position, know that when he comes, you will know he's come. You're not going to have to convince yourself of its reality. When he comes, you will know. And I look back over my life and I look back at moments of which the enemy cannot steal, my circumstances cannot rob from me, no person who comes against me can rob from me, these moments with the Lord that mark me forever. Remember at the age of eight, and this is one reason we, we encourage parents to send their kids to camp, but at the age of eight, sitting at an altar at a campground, just weeping with the Lord. I don't know, my friends were probably at the, the snack shack or something getting candy, but I was there at the altar just weeping before the Lord as I experienced his love. I mean, for one of the first times, I had responded to the Lord before that, but then there were significant moments with the Lord that that mark me to this day. There are moments of which no person will ever know or see that I've had with the Lord by myself in my room, sometimes with a guitar, sometimes with a piano, sometimes just with his word open wide and him pouring out his love on me. Those are personal encounters, and when he comes, I know he has come. I've had encounters in in gatherings like this or Sunday night services. And that's what I want to stoke a hunger in your heart for. Don't settle for anything less. There's no substitute for King Jesus actually coming into your life in a way that's personal and real and transforms us. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Let's keep reading. Then the Lord said to Samuel... Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. So the Lord is actually, he came like like he does. He comes into your life in a personal way, but he gives Samuel a word that is, it's a difficult word. It's a heavy word. 
It's actually a word of judgment against Eli, of whom you know, Samuel has served for his entire life. He says, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. So really Eli came under strong judgment for his passivity. It was his sons that were really the largest fools, like the biggest fools for their drunkenness and from steal, for stealing from the house of God. But it was really Eli that was then held responsible for his passivity. So I encourage any father in the house to not allow passivity to seep into your household. Like the Lord holds, holds fathers responsible for what happens. And so I'm not asking you to be, or I'm not telling you to be some dictator of your home. I'm asking you to be engaged in your household. Ask piercing questions, care, sit with your kids. Ask about what's going on in their lives in a way that cares. Pray for your kids. Eli, fell into the trap of passivity and he was then held responsible. He says, therefore, I will swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Like time ran out. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Take note that he, he didn't sleep. Like the Lord gave him a really difficult word and he could not sleep. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord like he does, you know, to serve the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I mean, you, you have to respect Eli for his humility to be able to look himself in the mirror and realize the error of his ways. But in verse 19, this is where I wanna, I wanna end. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established, established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So in a single generation, we go from the word of the Lord being rare to Shiloh actually being a habitation where the word of the Lord of God was frequent. Where again and again, the Lord appeared to Samuel and established him as a, as a real genuine prophet for his generation. And Samuel walked with this grace to, to hold every word of the Lord as precious, that he didn't let any of them fall to the ground in verse 19. If you'd all stand in this place, I want us to respond to the Lord. I know this is a different message But I felt compelled, especially coming into this summer and God calling for us to be awakened to what he desires to do in our midst, to give an opportunity in a fresh way for personal encounter, for individuals to hear from the Lord for themselves, to not live off the revelation of somebody else, the encounter that somebody else has had with the Lord, but to give every single person an opportunity to hear from the Lord. If you'd all close your eyes and bow your heads in this place. If you're here this morning before the Lord, I'm not even gonna ask for you to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you to respond to the Lord, which is a much bigger deal than responding to me. But you know that the word of God has been rare in your life. And maybe there's been a lot of Christian information or 
YouTube videos about the word of the Lord or attempted Bible reading plans, whatever it is. <laughs> but there's this kind of brewing hunger in your heart to actually hear from the Lord for yourself personally. Would you respond to him right now? Be a Samuel. Not even for your generation, just be a Samuel for yourself. Like, be a Samuel that says, I'm not going to settle for anything less than hearing from the Lord for myself. That you'd hear him calling your name. Son, daughter, child. And you'd respond, I'm yours, Lord. Speak. there are some who have been confused or frustrated by all the uh, frustrate um, what is the word some who have been frustrated with all of the the false prophecies and kind of hyper um, hyper religious commentary online you know, I just feel like there are some who have maybe grown cynical to personal encounter because so many people have um, abused or walked in error. And your good father is calling you this morning saying, come to me. Don't throw it all out because a few have mishandled it. Because there have been some foolish Eli's in your generation don't throw it all out. Look past all the junk and the failings and failures and flaws of your generation and see Jesus and his purity and his power and his love. And he's calling your name. Lord, I pray over every individual here who in their heart they've responded to you. I'm praying for a grace. As even pastor of this church, I'm asking for a grace to be poured out, for a hunger to be stoked, for individuals to minister to you, to be ones who position themselves in the presence of the Lord, to be ones who serve and honor demonstrating a capacity to receive from you. Individuals who don't settle for anything less than what they read about in scripture as a promise for their life. And in that moment, you would come, whether that be their living room or their car 
or on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a midweek prayer, that, Father, you would meet them where they're at in a personal way. You'd speak their language. They would learn to hear your voice. That they would be ones that Jesus talked about, those that who, who have ears to hear, I pray in your mighty name. And secondly, I want to ask you to join me in praying over this house, that this house would be like a Shiloh, a place, a geographic location where the word of the Lord was frequent, where again and again and again, individuals, myself included, encounter the word of the Lord for themselves. So Lord, I stand before the church that you've called me to lead in faith, asking, that this story we read about from centuries ago would be like a prophetic picture of what you desire to do in our generation. You, de you desire to establish this house as a Shiloh, a house where the word of the Lord and the Lord himself appeared to a generation, to a people, time and time again. And there would be this sense of stewarding that which is precious, and we wouldn't let a single word fall to the ground. But we would treat it with the value and the care that it deserves in your mighty name. Lord, come and meet with us in this place in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.